This is a Scream Queen production. And you're listening to So Dead, the podcast all about Michigan-made true crime. Today's story is so wild, and it's one that only came onto my radar pretty recently. And I don't know how I never heard of it. I don't know how I didn't hear about it when it happened. It's fairly recent. Uh, And did I mention that it is wild? I learned about this case from TikTok, actually. It was a video from one of those accounts that plays the audio from 911 calls. And the TikTok didn't say anything about it being a Michigan case. And no, I couldn't tell by the accents. But that 911 call was so chilling, so chilling that I was just kind of like, oh, shit, I need to go look this up. I need to see if this is even like real. It's that insane that I literally thought it was made up at first. But what happened is very real, and it happened right here in the mitten. So when Patreon super freak Rebecca Barra asked me to cover a survival story for her chosen episode, which uh, choosing the topic of an episode is a benefit that super freaks get, um, I knew that this was the one that I wanted to tell. And just like the rabbit hole that I dove into on this case, we're going to start today's story with that chilling 911 call. Now, this is new territory for us. I have never played a 911 call on the show before, and I very well may never do it again. But this one in particular, like the transcript just isn't going to cut it. You have to hear this one for yourself. The call came in shortly after noon on April 4th, 2012, so it's coming up on 10 years ago next week. Here we go. Boy, now in one, what's the address of your emergency? No, oh, there has been a murder-suicide. There is no survivors. Please send Okay, help. what's going on? Who, what's going on? Um, my ex-boyfriend broke into my house and killed my current boyfriend and then killed himself. Okay, did you just find them? Um, no, he killed my current boyfriend, and then he held me hostage, and he just shot himself in the head. Just now? Yeah. Okay, stay on the line with me. <laughs> and, um, he kind of beat me up, so, and my parents aren't home. It's just me, and I'm 17. What's his name? Brian White and Jake Burns are the victims. Jake Bird? B-U-R-N-S. Okay. Um, where's the weapons at right now? What? Where are the weapons at? Where's the, the gun? gun? is The axe is in Jake's head and the gun is in Brian's hand. Where are you at inside the house? Um, I'm sitting in our breakfast nook. Uh, Brian's in the living room. There's the kitchen between us. He's, he's dead. He's gone. And so Brian killed Jake? Yeah. 
Don't touch anything, okay? Can you do me a favor? Can you go sit on the porch? Yeah. What's um, your name? Desiree Scaper Fenny. I can't walk, so I have to hide. You can't walk? Okay, just stay there. Are you still tied up? No. Okay, do you need an ambulance? Oh, my God. What, Desiree? Yes. Okay, what happened? Oh, I put too much pressure on my leg. Okay, how long did he hold you guys captive for? What? How long did he hold you captive for? Oh, God, since, like, 8 o'clock. Since 8 o'clock this morning? Yeah. Did he break into the house? Yeah, my mom, he watched my mom leave. He watched And I just came in when Jake and I were sleeping. Okay, yep. Okay, are you on the are you on the porch right now? Yeah, the it's sorry, my leg really hurts. No, 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 that's okay. Do you need an ambulance? Um, I yep. an ambulance? No, a medic? Yes. Yeah, well, that's what it, that's what's going to be on <laughs> like the I ambulance. I don't need to go to the hospital. Okay. I, I just want to get these bodies out of my house. Okay. Yep, we're on the way. Okay, thank you. Are you going to stay on the line? Okay. No, her mom left for work, and there's nobody else in there. Correct. Correct. I can call my dad. He's He works at Six and Haggerty, so he can be home in about 10 minutes. Uh, my mom doesn't have a cell phone, so I don't know how to get a hold of her because she, she doesn't have a job. She got picked up by a friend this morning. Um. <laughs> okay. All right, but there is nobody. Just confirming. There is nobody else in the house. No. Okay, and where does Brian live at? Where would he be registered out of? Uh, five in Newburgh. I don't know his address. You don't know his Houghton address? Street. You know his, he lives on Houghton? Yeah. Okay. Do you know his, his uh, here in his mom's name. He wants me to call his mom, but. Yeah, no, don't worry about that. We'll take care of that. Yeah, my cell phone's inside. I grabbed the house phone because he yep. had my cell phone when he shot himself and I didn't even want to look. Nope, that's fine. Okay. Do you know what his middle name and date of birth uh, the are? The cop is passing me right now. Okay. Yeah. He's probably just going to park just down the street. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, no, not a problem. Just stay on the line with me until he's up there with you, okay? Okay. I, I can't walk. He beat me up. I can't walk. Do you know what Brian's middle name is? Douglas. And do you know what his date of birth is? It's tomorrow. He would be turning 20. He would be 20 tomorrow? There's no one else in the house. They're all dead. They, they can't walk. Yeah, the officer's coming up to me right now. Um, okay, go ahead and talk to the officer, okay, okay Desiree? You. All yes, right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Staperfenny family moved to their house on Sunnydale Street in Livonia in the early 2000s and had lived there for five years or so before the day of the murders. Livonia is a suburb of Detroit with a population of about 100,000. The Sunnydale neighborhood was very family-oriented, safe, lots of mid-century brick ranch houses, and the Staperfennies were happy there. In 2012, Desiree was 17. She was an only child. Her parents, David and Angie, had been married for 21 years. Friends said that David's calm balanced out Angie's feistiness, and their daughter was a good mix of them both. Happy, outgoing, compassionate, and stronger than anyone ever imagined she would have to be. 
Desiree was a senior at Stevenson High School, an aspiring model with long brown hair and the biggest brown eyes. It was April, so graduation was coming up soon, and she was looking forward to a big, bright future. She had just one problem. She was precariously trapped in a love triangle. Now, this might be a little bit confusing, but just bear with me. So in that audio of the 911 call, we heard Desiree refer to Brian White as her ex-boyfriend and Jake Burns as her current boyfriend. So that's what most media outlets ran with. Brian was the old boyfriend. Jake was the new boyfriend. But in one article, Jake's dad was quoted as saying that his son had been in an on-and-off relationship with Desiree for a couple of years. So that made me think that maybe Jake was the boyfriend-boyfriend. They broke up. Desiree started dating Brian. That didn't work out. So she reconnected with Jake after that relationship was over. I mean, we all remember being 17, right? A lot of indecisiveness and back and forth and all of that. Either way, whether Jake was the old boyfriend or the new boyfriend, Brian did not take his breakup with Desiree well. A high school wrestling standout, 19-year-old Brian was described as an amazing person by friends, but Desiree knew him to be controlling and possessive, which was why she ended things with him. While Brian went to dangerous stalker-level lengths to try to see Desiree, talk to her, get her back, Desiree was just done. She'd moved on with Jake Burns, either for the first time or as a continuance of an on-off relationship. It's unclear. Jake, also a 19-year-old former high school athlete, was described by everyone who knew him as a good kid who could make friends with anyone and would give you the shirt off his back if you needed it. He'd fallen upon some hard times after high school, and he needed a place to stay, so the Staper Fennies took him in, which was something they often did when a friend or a family member needed a place to stay. So Jake wasn't just dating Desiree. He was living with her. I mean, not not permanently, but he, he was living there. He was staying there. And that just upset Brian that much more. As Desiree did her best to move on with her life, get ready for graduation, enjoy her new relationship, she couldn't shake Brian, literally. He followed her around, showed up at the high school and started arguments, called her incessantly. He was fixated on her, which was made all the more alarming by his social media content. Following his breakup with Desiree, Brian's Facebook account took a dark turn. He was a huge fan of American Psycho, which if you've ever read the book or seen the movie or even just seen memes from the movie, you know that the killer, Patrick Bateman, buried an axe into the skull of one of his victims. And we already know from the 911 call at the beginning of the episode that that is exactly what Brian did to Jake. So a little more than just his favorite movie, right? In the weeks before the murders, Brian changed his Facebook cover photo to a picture of a white mattress and nightstand splattered with blood. He began posting quotes from American Psycho and other weird stuff. And listen, if if something happened to me and someone went back through my social media or my uh, search history, not, not the search history, on Google... I mean, they would see some pretty disturbing things. So I'm kind of torn on this because 
was it disturbing to look at knowing where this story goes? Absolutely. But should anyone have done anything about it while he was posting it? I don't, I mean, I don't know. People post weird shit, right? So he was posting quotes like, I like to dissect girls. That Okay, that one's a little, yeah. What a polite murderer. And did I mention that I'm utterly insane? A few days before the murders, Brian confronted Desiree at school. Witnesses saw them argue. He was, you know, begging her to take him back. She rejected him, and he left. On the night of April 3rd, 2012, Brian called Desiree, and she again told him that it was over. His final Facebook post a few hours later was from a Got Ye song, or the Got Ye song. I think you know what song I'm talking about. He posted, you can get addicted to a certain kind of sadness. Before we continue, I want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor. Care Of is a subscription service that ships high-quality, personalized vitamins conveniently to your door each month. Vitamins and supplements are not one-size-fits-all, which is why Care Of provides tailored guidance that evolves with you as your needs change. All you've got to do is take a short, in-depth quiz about your health goals and lifestyle, and you'll get personally tailored recommendations based on your answers. Listen, if I can find the time to take this quiz, so can you. It's quick and painless, and then bada-bing, bada-boom, place your order, and before you know it, you get this cute little box of daily vitamin packets that have been selected just for you. I'm I'm a big fan of small details. So the fact that each packet has my name on it and like a little inspirational quote, I just love it. It makes me smile every morning. I'm not getting any younger over here and like my hair, my skin, my nails, they could all use a little extra help, you know? And with care of, there's no measuring out powders or filling a little medication sorter. You just grab your little packet each day and consume. Takes like two seconds. And right now, Care Of is offering 50% off your first order for So Dead listeners. Just go to TakeCareOf.com, that's T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F, TakeCareOf.com, and enter code SODEAD50. Again, that is TakeCareOf.com, promo code SODEAD50, for 50% off your first order of personally tailored vitamins and supplements. What are you waiting for? Go, go. April 4th, 2012 was the day before Brian White's 20th birthday. Just before 7.30 a.m., he broke into the Staper Fenny's garage, found an axe, and let himself into the house while the occupants slept. 17-year-old Desiree woke up to commotion beside her in bed. She opened her eyes to a horrific scene. Her ex-boyfriend, covered in blood, bringing an axe down onto her new boyfriend's head. For the second time, he'd already hit Jake once, and there was no question that Jake was dead. Desiree tried to run, but Brian tackled her to the ground, injuring her leg. He began punching her in the side of her head in an attempt to knock her unconscious, but it didn't work. Now, I did see a couple of articles that said that he tied her up, but nothing that was confirmed by police, so I don't know whether she was or was not tied up. The two wound up out in the living room where Brian held Desiree hostage for the next several hours, and she was just trapped there. He'd taken her cell phone, Jake was dead, 
Her dad was at work. Her mom had left the house with a friend that morning to run some errands. She assumed that Brian had watched her mom leave before he entered the house. Finally, at 12.20 p.m., almost five hours later, Brian, who was sitting on the couch, looked Desiree in the eye and said, I love you, Desiree, and then shot himself in the head. Desiree limped to the house phone because Brian still had her cell phone and called 911. Within minutes, police and ambulances were on scene. Desiree was rushed to the hospital to be treated for her injuries, which were not life-threatening. She thought her nightmare was over, but she was wrong. Police entered the house and found the body of Brian White on the living room floor, gun in hand, dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. They found Jake Burns dead in Desiree's bed, the axe still embedded in his skull. So far, things were just as Desiree had described, as hard as it all was to believe. But in the next bedroom, police made a gruesome discovery. Desiree's mom, 46-year-old Angie Staperfenny, hadn't left the house that morning before this all began. She hadn't escaped the carnage. She was Brian's first victim. He'd bludgeoned her to death with the axe as well. And then he spent all that time in the house with Desiree, five hours, and didn't tell her that her mom was dead upstairs. As Desiree laid in her hospital bed, waiting for her mom to walk through that door to comfort her, the family was trying to figure out how to break the awful news to her. A couple days later, her family released the following statement to the media. The Staperfenny family wishes to extend their heartfelt thanks to the many friends, neighbors, and their extended family, as well as the Livonia community and its young people, for their prayers, sympathy, kindness, and condolences in the wake of this horrific tragedy. Despite the unbelievable pain and loss of Desiree losing her mother and David Staperfenny's loss of his loving wife of 21 years, we are grateful that Desiree was able to survive. It is the one shining miracle we all hold on to in the face of this unthinkable event. Our sympathies also are with the family of Jake Burns. He was a family friend that the Staperfennies welcomed into their home as they have done countless times for others. David and Angela both have extended their hospitality and hearts to so many. It is comforting to hear what an impact such graciousness has meant for others, and we appreciate the kind favors you have given from your own hearts at this time of need. It is so deeply unfortunate that a simple breakup would cause such everlasting pain and loss. Please know that the Staperfenny family is resilient, strong, and with courage. If anything in this world is a testament to such a thing, it is Desiree's survival. She is a wonderful reflection of her mother's strong convictions and her father's calm, steady guidance. We can only hope that other young people will understand that a breakup is not a permanent loss, but a gateway to another path. Had the perpetrator of these killings understood that healing is a better alternative to hurt and anger, nobody would be experiencing anything but the continuation of their lives. God bless the Staperfenny family and friends. P.S. Desiree would like to thank the officer who first arrived on the scene for his compassion and care. And that, friends, is the survival story of 17-year-old Desiree Staperfenny, 
the lone survivor of the Livonia Axe murders. My sources for today's episode were the Daily Mail and some articles from the Detroit Free Press from 2012. I really wish that I had been able to provide you with more information, that this was a longer episode, but when I tell you I looked everywhere, I looked everywhere. There are no podcasts that I was able to find. There were no, you know, specials or documentary features just a few newspaper articles from when it happened, and they really all just contained pretty much the same information, almost all of them. So I'm not sure why a case this shocking didn't get a lot of coverage, maybe because, you know, it was just over. The The killer was deceased. We knew exactly what happened. There was no question. There was no mystery. There was no trial. There was nothing to keep talking about. So the press just didn't. But yeah, there there was very, very little out there about this case. So then I'm faced with, do I just not, not talk about it or do we do a shorter episode? And I felt like this was a really important story to share. It's one that I had never heard before. And the ability of a 17-year-old girl to be that composed on the phone with 911, I have no doubt that she was in some state of shock, but still... Her composure, and I watched a few news articles where she gave interviews in, you know, the weeks and months after, and she just stayed so strong. It was really, really incredible to watch, but just what a, what a waste. What a senseless, senseless waste. All right, let's move on to a little bit of liquid cheese. Um, I want to tell you guys about a package that by the time you listen to this, I should have received it in the mail and it just kind of got me thinking about all of the weird shit I have in my possession at this point. So I don't know, those of you from Michigan, those of you that visit Michigan often, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of or been to Marvin's Marvelous Mechanical Museum down in Farmington Hills, but it's one of my favorite places on earth. It is so fucking cool. So much fun. I used to take the kids there all the time when they were little. I don't know how excited they would be about it now that they're older, but it's full of these very, very, very strange games and things that you can do, but then also memorabilia. I was waiting in line for the bathroom one time, um, which is kind of like, you know, in its own little alcove. And I was looking at the things hanging on the wall because it's just floor to ceiling memorabilia. And I saw this picture. It was like on the wall, but kind of hiding behind other things. And I pulled it out and it was a picture of Eminem with the owner. (laughs) So like, that's how much big stuff they've got that a picture of Eminem just is not a big deal. And it's hidden on a back wall by the bathroom, or it was at that time, at least. I say all of this to say that when I started the process to open my store and before that, because obviously this was something I had been thinking about for a really long time, My dream was to have something with like the level of creepy, weird, cool memorabilia that Marvin's has. And I don't think I'll ever get there. I mean, I would, I just, I would need the money fairy and just, yeah. But I am slowly starting to accumulate some memorabilia. And it's it's kind of weird for me because I have this weird thing about, um, if you've been to Dead Time Stories, you know that over by the tub of terror at the front of the store, which is our bathtub full of used true crime books, 
uh, and a bloody leg, but yeah. Um, there is a little wall that has some serial killer memorabilia on it. Um, a John Wayne Gacy, a Ted Bundy, an Eileen Warnos. I don't own any of that. That all belongs to a friend that collects serial killer memorabilia and offered to lend me some of the stuff that they didn't have on display at home to display at the store. So I don't know how to go about getting those things. Like those are not mine. They don't belong to me. And I also kind of feel weird about owning certain things. Like I would not want those in my home and I wouldn't want to say that they're mine, but I'm fine having them in the shop and having them on loan, if that makes sense. Probably not. But fairly recently, maybe a couple of months ago, I had some customers come in, uh, very nice people, and they were family friends of the Kevorkians, as in Jack Kevorkian. And they had a giant print of one of his paintings. I don't know. I didn't know this until they brought it to me, but Jack Kevorkian was a really talented artist and he did a lot of paintings. He had a whole art exhibit at a museum, very talented. And they had a print of one of his paintings that he had. It wasn't the original painting, but he had autographed the print. And they asked me if I wanted it. And I was like, fuck, yes, I do. So now I've got a Jack Kevorkian autographed print hanging up at the store. Uh, and I feel totally fine owning that because to me, Jack Kevorkian was not a monster or a bad person. He was just way ahead of his time. And then the gods of weird smiled down upon me a couple weeks ago. You know, the Facebook algorithm is real weird and pages that you follow, you may not see their posts often. Uh, I <laughs> One of the pages I follow, and I'm sure a lot of you do too, is the GW Zoo, the zoo that is featured in Tiger King that belonged to Joe Exotic and then belonged to Jeff Lowe, who's from Lansing, by the way, uh, and now belongs to Carol Baskin. So the page, the Greater Winniewood, Winniewood, Winniewood Exotic Zoo, I can't, I don't remember the exact wording. The page is still run by Jeff and Lauren Lowe, even though they don't own the zoo anymore, they still own the page. And smart thing that they did before they left the zoo and moved on to new things, they stripped it of a lot of its memorabilia, signs that hung on the buildings and the animal cages, and they recently started selling them off. And I just happened to see one of the very first posts very early on. It was um, a bunch of the plaques that had been outside animal cages and people could pay money to dedicate, you know, this this animal is sponsored by the so-and-so family or the such-and-such corporation. And there was one, just one, that I've seen in all of the stuff that they've posted. There was one sign that was sponsored by a family in Michigan. I snapped that shit up so fast. Um, I'm pretty sure I was talking to Lauren Lowe on Facebook. <laughs> It was her Venmo that I paid the money to. And so any day now, I should be receiving in the mail a package from Jeff and Lauren Lowe that contains a wall plaque from Joe Exotic's zoo. And of course, that shit is going right up in the store. I'm excited to get it. And yeah, I'm slowly, slowly, I'll never be on Marvin's level, but I'm slowly, slowly starting to finally amass my true crime memorabilia collection. And 
Just the fact that I'm waiting for a package to arrive in my mail from the stars of Tiger King. (laughs) What is life, right? So weird. So weird. So I pose the question to you, friends, and I guess it's a double-ended question. What is the weirdest piece of memorabilia that you own? Can be true crimey or not, um, from a movie, from a fandom, from a comic con. I don't really care. Just just the weirdest thing where you look at that and you're like, huh, that's kind of weird, but it's still fucking awesome. And also, what's the weirdest thing you've ever gotten in the mail? Because I feel like this is a pretty, pretty strange package that I'm waiting on here, right? Okay. So real quick, I want to shout out the couple of reviews that Soded has gotten on Apple Podcasts since the last time I did this, which wasn't super long ago. That would be Pop-Tart 2014 and B-Shora. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to leave reviews. Facebook has really limited my ability to promote reviews from outside of Apple Podcasts. That's really the only app that I can see the reviews on. Facebook doesn't let me see them anymore. It just lets people leave them, but I can't see them or respond to them or anything. And I don't know of any other podcast platforms that allow reviews. So who knows? I could have a million one-star reviews out there somewhere and I just wouldn't even know it. If you would like to hear your name on So Dead, all you've got to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Be kind, please. I'm very fragile. Last thing, real quick, I do want to tell those of you that are local about some events coming up at Dead Time Stories in April. Um, April 15th, I'm really excited about this. It's called Titanic Panic. So April 15th is the day that Titanic hit the bottom of the ocean. We're going to, I guess we're not celebrating Titanic sinking, but we're celebrating Titanic just kind of in general. So we are going to have the Kona ice truck come out, which if you're not familiar, they make the best shaved ice. So they will be serving edible icebergs that you can purchase that are amazing. I'll probably eat at least four myself. We're going to have a special collection of Titanic themed books and other items. We're going to have some Titanic-themed treats inside and some historical information available about the Michigan passengers of Titanic. So just kind of a weird, everything I do is weird. You guys know that. Uh, So Titanic Panic, April 15th. That's a Friday, all day long. We're open 11 to 6. And then April 30th is Indie Bookstore Day, Independent Bookstore Day, where we celebrate all of the independent bookstores versus purchasing your reading material from an evil empire that rhymes with shmamishman. The book scene in Lansing has grown exponentially just in the past year, just since I've opened. So many bookstores have opened. We all have our own thing, our own vibe. We all support each other, which is really, really great. And so we're still kind of putting together what we want to do, but one thing we will have is a map of all of the indie bookstores in the Lansing area, and we're all kind of doing different specials and promotions. So on April 30th, uh, come to Lansing. Bookshop Row is still alive and cooking. Cooking? No, it's not cooking. I guess, maybe. I've meant to say kicking, though. Um, on South Washington Avenue, Rio Town and Downtown, there are five of us now, and come hang out with us. Go visit all the other bookstores in Lansing. Support local. Support local. Support local. 
Last and usually least, make sure that you're following So Dead on all of the socials. Uh, Facebook, the Facebook group, So Dead Podcast Discussion Group, uh, really good stuff going on there. Even when I'm too busy to post, you guys keep it running and fun. So thank you. TikTok is still kind of where I'm the most active. That is just Scream Queen 517. So at Scream Queen 517 on TikTok. And uh, yeah. New true crime story time coming your way next Tuesday. Until then, keep shining, you magnificent what the fucks.